Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. As we come to Matthew chapter 24, I want to just bring us up to speed. In the previous chapter, we see that Jesus Christ was completely disgusted by what was being done in the temple of God. We see that these religious people gathered around a place of worship, a place where God's people would come and pray. And they turned the place of worship in a place of merchandise to stuff their own pockets full of money. And Jesus marches in and he flips over the money changers and he, and he rebukes them and said, as you well aware of what he said, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves taking turtle doves, taking animals uh, that are used for sacrificial purposes that they did in the Old Testament sacrificial law system. They would go in, they would purchase these things, and then they would use that animal as a sacrifice for their sins. And they took those animals and other items, and they used it as a mean to stuff their own wallets of money. And Jesus was disgusted. And then at the beginning of Matthew 24, after leaving the city and they went up to the Mount of Olives with his disciples there, Jesus looks out and he, he predicts the temple being destroyed in 70, which ultimately took place in 70 AD. And so in your, in your mind, just, just go with me to the apostles and you got Peter, James, John and all the rest and they're there with Jesus and they're, they're imagining, wow, he just walked into the temple and he flipped over the money changers and, and now he's saying the temple's going to be destroyed. And so in their minds, they knew what the Old Testament prophets said. So they're thinking, oh wow, so he, he's going to, very soon, the, the, the temple's going to be destroyed, and then he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. And then he began to display signs of his coming after they asked him. And last week, we looked at, I didn't say this last week, but I would like to share with you that last week we looked at five minor road signs. We looked at the earthquakes. We looked at the false Christ. We looked at the, the famines or the, and the diseases and the earthquakes. We looked at, we looked at all that stuff and about how people would walk away from, from the faith. In other words, there would be a departure from, from the very teachings of God and Jesus. And, and now this evening, uh, we make a transition in verse number 15 and we switch from the minor road signs to, I believe, the major road signs leading up to the second coming of Christ. So if you could just imagine with me, we're driving down the road and we come across these minor road signs. And then after we get past the earthquakes and, and the diseases and the and all the rest that we looked at last week, now we begin to see major road signs, larger road signs that are leading up to knowing that, that when we see these things, then we know that Jesus' second coming is very, very nigh at the door. As I shared with you last week, the key statement that I have for all these messages in Matthew 24 is simply this. Bible prophecy was not written to scare us. It was written to prepare us. My question this evening that I want to ask and answer is this. What are the major road signs of Christ's second coming? And I want to share with you five major road signs this evening for Christ's second coming found in our passage that we read, verses 15 through 28. And with all that in mind, I want to draw your attention to... Verse number 15. And as we're traveling down this road to try to discover these major road signs leading up to Jesus' return, I wrote down the first sign. 
And that's this. The sign of the abomination of desolation. The sign of the abomination of desolation. Here, verse number 15, Jesus says, after he has already said a lot of different things, he, right after he talks about how he makes a prophecy, if you will, a prediction about how the gospel of this kingdom is going to be preached in all the world. And we, we're going to look at more of that in a little bit, but we know that that was fulfilled or will be fulfilled during the tribulational period. But then in verse number 15, the Bible says that when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, so we know who Daniel was. If you're not familiar with who Daniel was, Daniel in the Old Testament was, was, was a, a great servant of God. And the Babylonian Empire came and they took captive of, of Daniel and, and, and all the people of Israel. And they took him to, to Babylon. And there, just as a lad, probably 16, 17, 18 years old, and lived the rest of his life in Babylon. And there he served God. And, 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 and we read about how, how he, he, he saw the visions that the king had, and he was in the den of lions, and, and all the exciting things. But this is the, the same Daniel that, that Jesus is referring to. And these disciples that were sitting on the Mount of Olives listening to Jesus' sermon, they knew about this Daniel. And, and here Jesus says about the, he talks about this abomination of desolation. So really briefly, I'm going to ask, what is the abomination of desolation? And what is the abomination of desolation going to do that Daniel spoke of. And it says how Daniel the prophet spoke of how he's going to stand in the holy place. And it says, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now I want to share with you a few thoughts. Three times Daniel mentions what is called here in this passage, the abomination of desolation. Remember, Bible prophecy is not written to scare us, but it's written to prepare us. During the end times, the Antichrist, which I believe is who is being referred to here in verse number 15. This Antichrist will, will hit a confederacy of 10 European unions or nations that will gather, or excuse me, that will generally correspond to the territory of the ancient Roman Empire. We, we read about this in Daniel chapter 7 and also in Daniel chapter number 2. And the Antichrist will also at first pretend to be Israel's deliverer, be their savior over their enemies that they're experiencing in the time period that's being written of. And then... She will make an alliance with him. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 speaks of that. But after the Antichrist has a victory over the nations from the south, north, and east who've come together against Israel, he will reveal his true colors and his evil character. And his hatred for Israel and for Almighty God will be shown. And we read about that in Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 and 45. It is while occupying Israel underneath the guise of being her protector that the Antichrist will commit what is called right here the abomination of desolation. So being referred to here is the Antichrist. And what's going to take place is something that Paul spoke of and Daniel spoke of and some of the other prophets spoke of. But I want to share this with you. The prophet Daniel, here's what a commentator said. The prophet Daniel referred to the abomination of desolation three times. And I want to, if you got your Bibles, I want to show you these three specific times. So if you got your Bibles, turn to the left, back to the Old Testament and the book of Daniel. Three specific times Daniel speaks of this individual named the abomination of desolation. And chapter 9, of the book of Daniel and verse 27, this is what Daniel says. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That is seven years. 
We talked about Daniel 70 weeks when we went through the book of Daniel months ago on Wednesday night. And so one week represents seven years. And 69 of those weeks that are predicted have already transpired. 69 weeks equals 483 years. And then we have another seven weeks, or excuse me, seven years, which equals one week that is yet to be fulfilled. And that will take place during the tribulational period. And the Bible calls that the time of Jacob's trouble. And here he speaks about that one week or seven years. And in the midst of the week, he, the Antichrist, shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto, until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now take your Bibles and turn over to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31. This Antichrist, or this individual spoken of as the abomination of desolation, is, is, is revealed here again. Daniel 11, verse 31, the Bible says, An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And then one more verse, Daniel chapter 12, and verse number 11. The Bible says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. If you do the math, that is three and a half years. So this one week period, or seven years, is made up of two sections. You have the first three and a half years is a time where this Antichrist comes on the scene, makes a deal with Israel, and says, hey, I'm going to promise you peace. I'm going to let you come into the place of worship, this temple that's going to be rebuilt again. And they're going to resume the daily sacrifices that they did in the Old Testament. And then three and a half years in, the Bible says he's going to break that promise, the Antichrist is, and he is going to declare himself to be God at three and a half years into the tribulation period. And we're going to get into more of that in a second. But here, I want to share with you what this commentator said, which said it in greater words than I could ever put together. He says, virtually every Bible scholar, no matter what his views are on eschatology or Bible prophecy or end times, identifies that the abomination uh, as the sacrilege committed by Antiochus Epiphanes IV Maybe you've heard of this guy mentioned before. I know that years ago I heard all these pastors and preachers mention Antiochus Epiphanes, and in my mind they didn't fully explain it. I, I seek to explain this guy to you this evening so that you can get a better understanding of who this individual is when somebody is speaking about him. He was a Syrian king who ruled in Palestine from 175 to 165 B.C. That is about 175 years to 165 years before Jesus Christ. He was a surrogate of the Greek Empire. And he took to himself the title Theos Epiphanes, which means manifest God. Literally, this dude thought he was Zeus in the flesh. But his enemies nicknamed him Epimes or Epines, which means madman or the insane one. Ironically, when he died in 163 BC, he was totally insane, outraged to the point of madness because his military defeats by the Jewish rebel Judas Maccabeus and 
the text of Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 to 35, perfectly describe the rule of Antiochus, who gained his throne by intrigue, in verse 21, made numerous excursions into Egypt, verses 24 through 27, and broke his covenant with Israel, in verse 28, and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem, verse number 31. Now, if you've ever read the apocryphal writings, if you, if you would have been living in the 1600s and you would have got a King James Version of the Bible, you would have noticed between the Old Testament, between the New Testament, they would have had the apocryphal books and those were placed in the original King James because they wanted them in there for historical purposes only. And the first and second Maccabees in that apocryphal writing speaks about the time of Antiochus and the Jews' zealous resistance to, to the brutal and sacrilegious tyranny that he brought. He slaughtered countless thousands of Jewish men, sold their wives and children into slavery, and tried to completely obliterate the Jewish religion. He desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig, which, by the way, is the most ceremonial unclean of all animals. And he placed those pigs on the altar and forced the priest, the Jewish priest, to eat the flesh thereof. He then set up in the temple an idol of Zeus, the pagan deity he fancied himself as manifesting. That horrible defilement by Antiochus was a preview, I believe, along with this commentator, of an even greater abomination of desolation to be committed by the Antichrist in the end time to come. So when Daniel prophesied, many times the prophets had a near fulfillment, something that would take place Soon, right after they made the prophecy, but then a far fulfillment. So the near fulfillment was Antiochus Epiphanes, but the far fulfillment is the Antichrist that the Bible speaks of in the book of Revelation. In fact, Antiochus Epiphanes set up an idol in the temple to be worshipped by the Jews. But the Antichrist, the Bible says, is going to bring himself in, as Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, and he's going to declare himself to be God three and a half years into the tribulation period. He's going to stop the sacrificing, and he's going to demand that the people, the Jewish people and all people living, worship him. Which will be the ultimate abomination of desolation spoken right here in Matthew 24. The Bible speaks about here, it says, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Right here in verse number 15 of Matthew 24. You see, there's going to be some people that are going to come in and try to say that all this has already been fulfilled during the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Everything in this part, except for the time that, that Jesus made a near fulfillment, he made a near he made a prophecy that would be fulfilled in a near fashion about the temple being destroyed in 70 AD, and then everything else after is future far beyond 70 AD. But anyways, the writer Matthew says, Whoso readeth, let him understand, He's signifying that people are going to read this in the ages to come, and they're going to have to seek an understanding of this passage of Scripture. So the sign of the abomination of desolation is the first major road sign that we see after all the minor road signs leading up to Jesus' return and his second coming. But now I want to share with you, secondly, as we move forward in our passage, we see that Jesus is on top of the Mount of Olives. He is preaching this sermon, this great discourse on top of the Mount Olivet and this discourse. We understand that Bible prophecy was not written to scare us, but it's written to prepare us. 
And we're looking at this evening five major roadsides of Christ's second coming. And now I want to share with you n- number two from the second road sign from verses 16 through 20. I read on secondly. The sign of mankind fleeing to the mountains. The sign of mankind fleeing to the mountains. Jesus speaks about this abomination of desolation, which, by the way, these Jewish men, they knew about what Daniel said and some of the other prophets. They didn't know what Paul said. They didn't know what John the Revelator said about the Antichrist because that had yet to be written. But here we see that I'm sure in their minds, they're thinking to themselves, well, what are we going to do when we see this Antichrist come? And Jesus says, when you see this man, run to the mountains. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. He said, when you see this Antichrist come in and declare himself to be God in the temple three and a half years midway into the tribulational period, run for your lives. Because the Bible speaks of how in that time, all hell, if you will, is going to be unleashed upon this world. The Bible says in verse number 17, it's very interesting, the language that Jesus used. He said, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, I I have, and it's really interesting. You see, they don't have porches like we have porches here in America. They have rooftops. And on the rooftop, they kind of use it for a variety of things. But oftentimes, they would gather together on top of a roof to use like a porch that we use today. Sometimes they would have tables up there. They would eat. They would fellowship. They would mingle. They would gather together. But here the Bible says that, that if you're on top of your roof, when this transpires, don't worry about going into your house and getting your belongings. Just go and run to the mountains because what's about to happen is one of the greatest abominations the world has yet to see. So he says, in a sense, if they have iPhones and they say, don't worry about your iPhone, don't worry about anything, your laptop or any of these devices, just go. In verse number 18, it says, Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So imagine back in the the time period that Jesus is speaking. They were out in the fields and they were working and they were laboring. They were trying to plant crops and and nurture them so that they could harvest all of the produce so that they could eat. And I'm sure that as they would wear garments, sometimes as we would wear a jacket, we would take it off. We're getting hot and working and maybe maybe take off another shirt, just have our undershirt on. And imagine here, Jesus said, hey, if you're in this day and you see all of this transpire, don't even worry about gathering your extra clothes. Just run to the mountains. Then verse number 19, it says, this is interesting. This is a woe, if you will, to women who are pregnant. It says, and woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. He says, you better hope that when this all transpires, if you're alive, that as a woman, you're not pregnant. And if your wife is pregnant, it's going to make things a lot more challenging to go to that mountain. And then here in verse number 20, he says, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So he says, hey, you better hope that when all of this takes place, it's not in the colder months because it's going to be cold out there. And then he says the most interesting part about this section, the sign of mankind fleeing to the mountains. It says, 
neither on the Sabbath day. Some of the most orthodox Jewish people still honor the Sabbath to the very T, to their best ability that the Old Testament speaks of. And if you know anything about this, you know that, that, that they were only allowed to walk a certain amount of feet, a certain distance every day on the Sabbath. And so imagine when you see this take place and you begin to flee to the mountain, Jesus says, you better hope it's not on the Sabbath because these Orthodox Jews who are very strict in this law, they are known for stoning people who break that law of extending, going beyond the distance that is allowed on the Sabbath day. Bible prophecy was not written to scare us, my friend. It was written to prepare us. This day has to come. This day has to take place. And I think we're living in some exciting days because we're, I think we're living in perhaps maybe in the minor signs leading up to these major signs. And that we should be fully excited because it's now urgent that we are called to take this message of Jesus, the gospel, into the world so that they can prepare for the future judgment that is going to come. So we see the sign of the abomination of desolation. That is the Antichrist coming on the scene. Then we see the sign of mankind fleeing to the mountains. But I want to share with you the third major own sign this evening from verses 21 and verse 22. Look at your Bibles there. And as you're looking at these verses, I want to share with you thirdly. The sign of great tribulation. The sign of great tribulation. Verse 21, the Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation. Now, this is not speaking about a trial such as quarantine with the coronavirus. This is not speaking about a diagnosis of cancer. This is not speaking about how you got the news that one of your closest family members just passed away. This is not the news that, you know, you call your parents and you, and, and you are on the phone with them and, and, or your relatives or somebody else and they got into a very massive, horrible uh, wreck. This is, this is not a trial that we go through on this earth that has ever been to the case of this great tribulation. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, that in this world we're going to have tribulation. That is trials. We're going to have adversity. We're going to go through affliction. But this right here does not compare to any other trial on this earth that's ever taken place. Jesus says, His own word says, Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. He goes back to the very first people created back in Genesis, Adam and Eve. And he says, you go all the way back to, to the garden. And nothing that has ever taken place will compare to this great tribulational period. And he says, no, nor ever shall be. Verse 22, it says, and except those days be, except those days should be shortened. Remember, Daniel's 70-week prophecy speaks about the 69 weeks, those 483 years, they've already taken place. And then what was not really known to these Jewish people, especially these ones sitting on top of the Mount of Olives, was this dispensation or period of time of the church, the times of the Gentiles the Bible speaks of, and how God would work and His Word would be advanced through the agency, through the organization, or through the organism, if you will, called the body of Jesus Christ, such as we are a part of today. And it says 
it says here that, that except those days should be shortened. That there's a time limit given for this period. Seven years, and then the very last section, three and a half years, is going to be, it's numbered. Those days are numbered. And so God has already shortened them. And he's done this for the very elect's sake. So that we would not have to go through what the rest of the world goes through, or the people living who are believers won't have to go through all that agony for decades upon decades upon decades. Now, with all that in mind, I'm sure in your mind, you're asking yourself, well, well, what's the purpose of this time full of great tribulation? Well, I wrote down a few thoughts I want to share with you underneath the sign of great tribulation. First of all, I have five subpoints for this if you're taking notes. The tribulation period is a time of correction and preparation of the nation of Israel. The tribulation period is a time of correction and preparation for the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're not going to read these, but Deuteronomy chapter 4, Jeremiah chapter 30, Ezekiel chapter 20, and Daniel chapter 12 speaks about all this. The one verse I do want to read to you is Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And at that time shall Michael, this is Michael the archangel, he is the one who's going to stand up and protect the people of God during this time. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Daniel spoke about this. So in the mind of the Jews, listening to this sermon by Jesus, they understand all this. They've studied these passages. They know what Jesus is speaking of here, about this great tribulation called Jacob's trouble, the Bible says. And here, why is it going to take place? Well, well, it's going to take place because the Jewish people as a whole, they continually rejected the Messiah. They, first of all, they rejected the prophets. God would send to them a messenger. And they would reject that message and take up stones and kill them. And then the Messiah, God incarnates, the Son of God comes, and they rejected their own Messiah. And so because they continually rejected God, the Bible says that this time period is a time, that is the tribulation, is a time for the Jewish people to be corrected. God is going to, to judge them. But he's going to still have mercy, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then, a time of preparation. So it's going to correct them so that they will see, hey, the Messiah is not this falsified Messiah, the Antichrist, but the Messiah was Jesus Christ who came years later, and you're going to see him come in the clouds in the days to come. And then, and then it's a time where, where these people are corrected, but then prepared for the ushering in of the kingdom of God that Revelation chapter 20 speaks of, a thousand-year reign on this earth where there will be peace. I know we're crying out for peace right now. They'll be crying out for peace even in that time period of the tribulation. And the Antichrist will give a falsified peace, but Jesus comes in and will give the real peace. And by the way, He's the only one that can give you peace in your soul. I wrote down secondly here. The tribulation period is a time of punishment of the rebellious nations who have rejected God. 
Jeremiah 25, Isaiah chapter 24, and Isaiah chapter 13 speaks about this. Only one verse I actually want to read to you right now concerning this is in Psalm number 2. In fact, when we go to the Psalms, we think about these Psalms as just being nice worship songs that the Psalmist David or some other Psalmist wrote as an expression of their uh, worship to God and song. But in Psalm 2, even though it most likely was a song that was sung, these songs are very doctrinal. And this one was very, very messianic. And, and it was speaking about these Gentile nations who have adamantly rejected God and His Word. They're going to be judged in this time period too. Psalm 2, verse Number two says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That is, their, the Messiah Jesus saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Speaking about, we believe this time when God is not going to just judge the people of Israel, but He's going to judge every other tribe and kindred and tongue. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I heard, I heard one person say, in fact, I was watching a, an interview by Larry King Live, and he said, we just want justice. And, and, and the pastor that was on there was John MacArthur, and he said, no, Larry, we do not want justice. Because if God gives us all justice, we all die. And we all go to hell. We want grace. And I'm telling you that, that throughout history, mankind has continually rejected God. And man does not want justice. We should cry out for God's mercy. The third aspect of the tribulation period will be this. The tribulation period will also experience the outpouring of God's grace by sending worldwide revival. Here's the grace of God. You see, it's all about perspective. You can read the story of Cain and Abel and see one perspective. You can read the story of, of Noah and see a perspective. You can read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read the judgment of God into it, and it's there. But I'm telling you, every time you see the judgment of God, you also see God's grace and you also see His mercy. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus went to the cross, it was in a sense God judged sin and the wrath of God was poured upon the Son of God. And now we can all experience the grace of God. And in a tribulational period, we see in Revelation chapter 7 that that scores of thousands of Jewish people are going to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And then people who, who, are, who are Gentile are going to come to know Jesus as well. De Deuteronomy chapter 4 speaks of this. Matthew 24, we spoke about it a, a few minutes ago. And last week, it says that, that the gospel of this kingdom is going to be preached to the entire world. And that's fulfilled in Revelation chapter 14. And I don't know how. I don't know if it's going to be a megaphone. I don't know if it's going to, it's going to be through a live stream way. I don't know if it's going to be radio waves or television. I have no idea how this is going to transpire. But but we do know the Bible says that an, an angel, a messenger of God is going to testify to the entire world in the tribulational period of the good news of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and his salvation message. Revival. In the midst of judgment pouring down upon mankind, we are going to see a revival in similar fashion. The Assyrians in the Old Testament. An outpouring of the Spirit of God. I wrote down this. The tribulation period will, will end the time of the Gentiles and affect deliverance of the Jewish people from Gentile dominion. We read this in Isaiah chapter 24, Isaiah chapter 59, later on in Matthew 24, verses 21, excuse me, verses 29 through 31. 
And in Mark chapter 13, and in the one verse I do want to read to you, is the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11. And he says these words in verse number 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to the Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become. When Daniel's 70th week begins, it's when the church age, if you will, ends. That whole week is likened to the tribulational period, but the last three and a half years is going to be the great outpouring of the judgment in that tribulational period. Now that brings me to this question. That really our passage this evening, Matthew 24, does not address this. But I know you're questioning it in your mind right now. Will the church, the body of Jesus Christ, go through this tribulation period? Will I go through this? Will you go through this? Will, will we go through this? Well, here's something to think about. There are no specific references to the church. That is the very body of Christ during the tribulation period. No Old Testament passage mentions it. And in fact, the book of Revelation doesn't even mention the church. Yes, we read the first couple chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3. It mentions these churches like Laodicea and Sardis and Philadelphia, all these churches. But then when you begin to read chapters 4 all the way through 19, sure, saints might be mentioned. But remember back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, were called, the Old Testament believers were called saints. And we see that the church that we know of today is not mentioned even in the book of Revelation. So the church dispensation, also called the times of the Gentiles, will come to an end at the rapture, I believe. And will begin the final week of Daniel's 70 weeks. It's the only view that makes sense. Now I know that, that the Bible speaks about how he's not going to allow us as his people, the church, to go through his wrath. In fact, chapter 5 of verse number 9 of 1 Thessalonians speaks about how God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse number 10 speaks about how he's not going to pour out his wrath to us. And chapter 4 speaks about how we are, the, then after the dead in Christ will be raised and gone up to be with the Lord, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. That word in the, in the language in the New Testament literally means to be raptured out of here. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, the Bible says we shall not all sleep. Paul's saying we're not all going to die. But he says we will be changed in a mystery in the blink of an eye. So the rapture is going to take place. But really briefly, I want to share with you, there are six theories about the rapture. First of all, the one is no rapture. And this is just really completely foolish. It's absurd. Because it's to discredit the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you were to say that there is no rapture, you have to cut out chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Then number two is what people call the partial rapture. That is, you have to be living in complete holiness and looking and anticipating the second coming. In other words, it's like those people in 1948 or 1947 when Israel became a nation again. They packed their clothes, they sold their belongings, they sold their house, they went up to the mountains to await for the coming of the Lord. And they misinterpreted a few passages in Scripture. That was the beginning of a national revival of bringing the people of Israel in the tribulation period. When the, when the, when the, when the system is, is, is in place, we believe that the people from all over the world are going to come back to, to Jerusalem. We're seeing the beginning of that now. But the partial rapture is completely false because Paul says to the church of Corinth, a very worldly and carnal church, he says, we all will be changed. 
Then you have the pre-wrath view. It says the moment when God pours out his wrath, the church is going to be taken out. Now, if you mean the pre-wrath view, like the whole tribulational period, yes, I would agree with that. But the Bible likens the whole seven years to the, to the time of Jacob's trouble, and the church is not going to go through that. You have this view called the mid-trib rapture, and it's really, it just, it, it really misunderstands Daniel's 70 weeks and all these verses connected in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the tribulation period. And then you have one called the post-tribulation. And really the only, the really main verse for this that they use for support is right here in Matthew 24 and verse number 29. I remember listening to a preacher and he said, all he said was immediately after the tribulation and he began to read verse 29 and he began to emphasize that this is speaking of the rapture, which actually is not speaking of the rapture. The word church, the body of Christ that we know it is not mentioned in Matthew 24. He's speaking to the Jews, a Jewish context. And verse 29, if you study it along with Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 27, you see that in that moment, God, Jesus, is going to physically, bodily return, literally return, and he's going to judge the world, and then he's going to gather together all the people who know him as Savior on the world and establish his earthly kingdom. The only view that makes sense is the sixth view, and that is the pre-tribulational view of the rapture. That is, the rapture is going to take place right before the tribulational period. So you don't have to fret, you don't have to fear going through this. In fact, the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are written because these believers were, uh, uh, had questions about death. They, they were, had questions about the rapture. And in 2 Thessalonians, they thought they were going through the great tribulation because of all the, the trials that they were going through and persecution, but they were not going through it. And Paul emphasized that they were not experiencing the great tribulation period. Bible prophecy was not written to scare us. It was written to prepare us. We need to prepare for the rapture. We need to prepare for this time of great tribulation. And when we're going through a tribulational time like this, that we're going through worldwide about this epidemic of the coronavirus, we need to understand this, that this does not compare to the worldwide great tribulation of the days to come that Jesus is speaking of here in Matthew 24. These men are going to flee to the mountains and the abomination of desolation is going to make his presence. These are the three road signs we've seen so far. Hang in there with me. I want to share with you the fourth road sign. What are these major road signs? We've gone through three of them, but now I want to share with you fourthly. From the words of Jesus, in verses 23 through 27, I wrote down this fourth sign, the sign of great confusion. So not just great tribulation, not just men fleeing to the mountains, not just the sign of the abomination of desolation, but here we see the sign of great confusion. Great confusion. You know, people think I'm crazy because I believe the Bible is the literal words of the living God. That every word from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired and errant and fallible preserved word of God from heaven. People think I'm crazy because I believe God spoke the world into existence in six literal days and rest on the seventh and the universe cannot be more than 10,000 years old. People think I'm crazy because I believe in the flood of Noah's day. I believe all the miracles that the Bible speaks of in the Old Testament that I believe people think I'm crazy because I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again and he's coming back. They think I'm crazy about this but when they begin to ponder, hey, I think the world just explode into existence. That is complete absurdity to think that nothing plus nothing equals everything. 
And if you think what's going on in our world since the days of the 1700s when, 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 when intellectualism began to, begin to rise and now it is today that people, are, are, people have all these degrees. They have all these master degrees and PhDs and all this stuff and people today think they've, they've gotten so smart that they have, they've outsmarted the omniscient God of the universe. I want you to know this. You cannot outsmart God. God is smarter than all of us combined. All eight plus million people that's on this earth and all the billions and billions of people that have ever lived. If you think people are confused today, we're just seeing the beginning of a great confusion. In fact, Timothy chapter 4 speaks about how in the last days, people will be given over to doctrines of devils. Hey, I know we're a Baptist church. But hey, we believe in demonic spirits. We believe in devils, if you will. We believe in Satan. We believe that it is real and there's a spiritual warfare. But I'm telling you, the spiritual warfare that's going to be unleashed in the, in the tribulation period, it's not going to be compared to anything we've ever gone through now. The deception that this world is going to experience, look what Jesus said. He said, then if any shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. In other words, the Messiah, the anointed one. For there shall arise false Christ. By the way, by the way, the Antichrist, Satan, tries to mimic and imitate God in every way fashionable and possible. He tries to establish a kingdom on this earth during his seven years. He tries to usher in peace. He tries to demand people to worship him. But I'm here to tell you something. God will get our worship and he's the only one that deserves it and he's going to establish all that stuff and Satan just is mimicking God in every way, shape, and form. So don't believe none of this stuff. But check it out now. It says that, that these false prophets, these false Christs, they're going to come, they're going to do great signs and wonders and it says, in so much that if it were possible that they shall deceive even the very elect. That is the very people of God. Then it says, behold, I have told you before. He already said this earlier in the chapter as we looked at last time. But then verse 26, it says, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. He says, hey, if they're over there beside the trees, if they're over there in the building, if they're over here, over there, over there, don't believe it. Verse 27 says, for as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The imminent return, that is, it, it, it can happen. And it's going to happen when we least expect it. I also want to share with you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read about Paul's words, how in fact you would have thought that he was just reading the book of Daniel and some of the Old Testament prophets, and he writes out this man of perdition, this, this, the, 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 the Antichrist, and he talks about how he's going to come declare himself to be God and he's going to oppose God in every way, shape, and form. And then the Bible talks about this falling away. And that literally means a, an apostasy. It literally means, you can go study that phrase, falling away, and it literally means apostasy. There, we're beginning to see a falling away now, but in the tribulational period, there's going to be an even greater falling away, and these people are going to be so deceived by the works of Satan himself. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Let's get our faces in the very words of Scripture so that we will not be deceived right now or even in the days to come. Bible prophecy was not written to scare us. It was written to prepare us. We've seen 
four, road, four major road signs of Jesus' return. But now I want to share with you the fifth and final one from verse number 28. And I wrote down this. The sign of great corruption. The sign of great corruption. Not only is there going to be an abomination, not only is there going to be seeing men flee to the mountain, not only is there going to be great tribulation and judgments being poured about, not only is there going to be confusion about the true Messiah and the true gospel, but there's going to be so much corruption. Look at the verse. It says, For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So I don't know if you've ever been driving around and you saw roadkill. And then in, in the, the midst of the roadkill, you see these, these birds come down and they begin to eat and devour the roadkill. In other words, this is a whole picture about how there's going to be so much corruption in this time period that sin is going to be rampant, that temptation is going to be so hard to overcome that men will bow down and, and eat from the tables of sin. We're seeing the beginning of all this now. That leads me to these final thoughts. I guess most of you know, but in case you don't, back in 2015, not only myself, but a group of our, our, our members here at our church, we went on a cross-country bicycle ride. We cycled across America in 30 days from San Diego, California to St. Augustine, Florida. We averaged 100 miles a day, and we stopped in about 15 different churches, and we shared Jesus with people, and we raised money for our church, and we did a lot of cool things. But I want you to know the days leading up to that, beginning in January all the way to June, it was preparation time. And in fact, I, I was in seminary at the time, working on a degree um, at Liberty University, and, and I took the whole semester off so that I could spend about 15 to 20 hours a week that I would be going to class and would be studying and would be doing assignments and driving back and forth to Lynchburg. I took that time to be prepared for on the bicycle so 15 to 20 hours give or take a week and and listen as much preparation time that we did it still did not fully prepare us for that escapade and that magnificent and life-changing adventure i say that to say this that failing to prepare is preparing to fail and if we would not we didn't prepare enough and we had challenging days but in life that we go through if we don't prepare for the future we are literally preparing to fail and remember what the prophet Amos says? He says, prepare to meet your God. I'm here to tell you something. This life is a day of preparation to meet and stand before Jesus Christ. And I submit to you today that it's time, church, that we begin the final preparations for the second coming of Jesus Christ. That means that we march forward the gospel even further. We go into the highways and hedges even further than we have ever could be going. And we go through the internet ways. We do any way, shape, or form that we can to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, family, friends, foes, anybody, about how Jesus died on Calvary, how He suffered and bled and died there, and He, he did that for the sins of the world. He paid the penalty for sin once and for all and he was placed in that borrowed tomb and he rose victoriously from the grave and now he's at the right hand of God the Father awaiting for his glorious, majestic and marvelous return. And today we need to advance that message. So will you do that? Will you use the rest of the days of your life even in quarantine to advance the message of Jesus Christ? Bible prophecy was not written to scare us. It was written to prepare us.
Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.